go. A special hello goes out to Director Media for the Boston Bruins alumni, Mr. Mark Boyan. Nice to see you, Marky. Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Representing the Winnipeg Jets, number 12 left wing, Morris Lukowicz. being shadowed by Wilson. Now McCourt picks it up, skates it up the left side. His bad pass and a shot on a score. And of course, Lukowicz intercepted a bad pass and drove it past Jimmy Rutherford. And 55 seconds into the hockey game, the Jets have taken a one nothing lead. Well, Lukowicz, again, uh, Larry, we talked about him in the pregame show. Uh, he, did, he didn't waste any time with that. He just let it go immediately. And Lukowicz, incidentally, had 65 goals for the Jets last year. He is a goal scorer. Welcome to episode 42 of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. This is part one of a two-part series with WHA and NHL All-Star Morris Lukowicz, who scored over 300 Major League goals by combining great skating, hard shooting, and a willingness to absorb punishment in front of the net. After a brilliant junior career with the Medicine Hat Tigers, Morris was drafted by the NHL Pittsburgh Penguins in 1976, but opted to play with Gordie Howe in the WHA Houston Arrows. He immediately made an impact in the WHA and eventually became a 65-goal scorer and AVCO Cup champion with the 1978-79 Winnipeg Jets. He was also highly productive in the NHL, topping the 30-goal mark four times. You'll be enthralled by Luke's memories of his often hard-to-believe journey through youth hockey, juniors, Houston, Winnipeg, Boston, L.A., and beyond. Luke doesn't hold back with these fascinating hockey tales, but he also offers meaningful lessons in perseverance, commitment, and courage. As always, a reminder to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and or review if you haven't already. It's a great help, and it helps the show become more visible to hockey fans around the world. As always, we greatly appreciate the feedback we've been getting, and we've received a lot of it recently. We welcome you to reach out to us anytime at ProHockeyAlumni.org or via social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at ProHockeyAlumni. Of course, you can also enjoy old-time hockey at our other classic hockey sites, which include WHA Hockey on Facebook, Whaler Nation on Facebook and Twitter, and the official Boston Bruins alumni. Now, let's talk classic hockey with Morris Lukowicz. We're back on the show and our, our guest today scored 346 goals in 10 seasons in the WHA and NHL and uh, won a championship with the Winnipeg Jets in 1979. Played in two NHL All-Star games as well. We welcome Morris Lukowicz. Morris, thanks so much for being with us here today. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, last episode, we were talking with Dennis Sopchuk, who is about four hours south of you, grew up in, in Lang, Saskatchewan. So today we head up a little bit north to uh, Spears, Saskatchewan, when you were a kid. And so many uh, young Canadian kids have a similar story in the sense that they spent Saturday nights, well, I guess in your case, watching two-thirds of a Hockey Night in Canada game uh, because it would start a little bit late, I assume, because of the time difference. And uh, did you have hockey in your blood right away? Did you have a goal at a young age uh, of becoming a big league hockey player? Well, you know, I reflected on this quite a bit, Mark. And uh, I think the first time that the seed got planted with me, the someday it would be a good idea to be a professional hockey player. And I think it was on Saturday nights and I'd be sitting on my dad's lap and my brother, Len, who was three years older than me, was sitting on uh, the other side. And uh, we were watching Hockey Night in Canada and I'd have my head next to my dad's heart. And, and you know, at that time, we actually didn't get the first period. I mean, all we got was the second and third period. Right. It was in the early, early 60s. 
the first period, actually, an announcer by the name of Foster Hewitt would come on, and he would tell us what had happened in the first period. And the games were typically from Toronto, Montreal. And so we actually didn't see the first period. He would tell us about it. And yet, then, in watching the games, the way uh, my dad would talk about Gordy Howe, Bobby Hull, uh, Maurice Richard, uh, Dave Keon, I thought, I really think a seed got planted that if I could become one of those guys on TV that would make my dad happy and proud of me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, I've, some players get to the NHL on talent, and then others get there because they have a, an amazing driving motivation and desire, and I think I was the second. And uh, Dennis Sobchak, by the way, I think he was the first. He had right. an amazing amount of talent. Yeah, he sure did. You know, we, we ended up interviewing a lot of guys from Western Canada, uh, Mike Rogers most recently, uh, Larry Lund, who obviously was playing many years before you did, uh, ended up becoming a teammate as well. And I'm always fascinated by that, uh, for the, the players at a young age, having that drive, uh, you know, yourself, you may not have been the biggest kid out there, but obviously you learned to skate real quickly. And um, But eventually you end up with the... The Medicine Hat Tigers, a proud junior franchise. We ended up playing with a couple of real interesting guys, too. We'll get to it in a minute. But first, how did it all turn out that uh, you became a Medicine Hat Tiger? Well, and by the way, mentioning Larry Lunt, Larry assisted on my first goal. <laughs> he, uh, he, he and I believe Gordy Howe. We were on a line together, and uh, it was in Birmingham against the Birmingham Bulls. And uh, Gordy got the puck, and he fed it over to... Uh, Larry behind the net, and Larry popped it out. And I had just changed. I just come out of the ace, and I come whipping it in the slot. And he threw it out, and I grabbed it. And actually, it was on John Garrett. I uh, I can still remember. I scored five hole on on Johnny Garrett. <laughs> well, not too many and, players. Uh, not too many players. Larry Lund was a terrific player, obviously, but not too many players can say they were assisted by Gordy Howe in their very first uh, big league goal. Yeah. Yeah, so it was a, I had an amazing connection with Gordy Howe, and I'd love to tell a couple of stories about him. Uh, first of all, though, Medicine Hat, Tigers. What happens, even though I grew up in uh, Spear, Saskatchewan, which is in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, just north of Saskatoon, mm-hmm. and, like, we didn't even have an indoor hockey rink. So uh, when I work with kids, I mention how miracles, like, it was a miracle that I actually got to the NHL. And that, and that miracles can happen, and for them to be open to those possibilities. And um, so, like, we didn't even have an indoor hockey rink. Uh, played hockey outdoors. The only time we played indoors, our, our little town had a curling rink, where uh, my brother Ed and Mike became very good curlers. I was also, so was my brother Len. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned my brother Ed, he actually became world curling champion. Right, exactly. In 1980. 1986, and then he actually he coached the uh, U.S. Uh, Olympic curling effort. Wow! And nice. uh, yeah, and and world championships, and and he uh, he helped the U.S. win some world championships and also uh, some medals at the Olympics. You know, it's uh, quite an honor to, to play junior A in, in Medicine Hat. How did that all transpire? When I was about 12, we moved from Spears to Saskatoon, and that was a really good move. I would not have become a pro hockey player because in Saskatoon, we, uh, we got lots of ice time, and then we uh, got the exposure. Uh, and at that time, the AAA quadrant system was coming in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. The very first tryout, like in the country, I played on three different teams. I got tons of ice time. It was actually one of the things that helped me. And yet, my very first tryout in Saskatoon, I actually got cut. It's kind of interesting that a a guy that got to the NHL, like and played 11 years pro hockey, got cut in his first uh, peewee tryout. And uh, it's kind of, the story that goes with this is that my uh, Danny Arndt, who was a neighbor, and he actually became an NHLer also. Sure did play uh, for the. Uh, played, yeah, I remember Danny very well. Yeah, he played, played played up here yeah. for the Whalers. Right. Yeah. Good athlete, and then he sustained some tough injuries 
in hockey. And so there was him and his brother, Kenny, and I, and these guys were amazing athletes in baseball, hockey, and um, really anything they touched. They were amazing at it and good golfers. But anyway, so Danny came over. It was, I remember, uh, early September, and we had just moved to staff and said, hey, there's a tryout tonight for the Kings Middle League. Are you going to come? And uh, I went, really? Like, <laughs> we normally start hockey in you know, October or November when the ice freezes. So he says, we got artificial ice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I said, so the, the camp starts tonight. It's going to be at the uh, the arena where the Blades play, the Saskatoon Blades. And he said, so, you know, come and try out. So it ended up that I went in, and I, my dad was farming back at Spears, 70 miles away. But uh, it ended up that uh, I went to the tryout. And the, the thing was, it's kind of an interesting story. I, I want to tell this story first before going on to Medicine Hat, was that it ended up that uh, I went into the garage to put on my hockey equipment, and a lot of it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. So my, because so this was a, it was such an important thing that happened in this tryout. Was, so I actually, when I went for my first skate, like the, it ended up, I had skates, I had my jeans on, I had my shin pads on with rubber rings, uh, I had my can on, but I didn't have hockey pants and didn't have socks. Wow. And I had elbow pads didn't have shoulder pads, didn't have a jersey, and I had a helmet, and a stick, and gloves. Wow. And what happened was when I went and tried out, uh, it ended up that everybody's out there zooming around in their uh, beautiful hockey gear and everything, and it ended up I did not have a very good uh, practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up that uh, afterwards, I came out of the dressing room, and I looked at my name, was on the, the list of the guys that got cut. And I came out, and the thing was, it was also intimidating, it was in the Saskatoon Arena where the Blades played. So wow. there was just too much kind of stuff going on. I remember I came out, and I made a left around the corner, and I looked up, and there was my my dad. He was about 12 rows up. And my brothers were beside him, and they were looking away. And it, it isn't often I've ever seen my brothers scared, but they were at that moment. And I looked up, and my dad was standing up there, and like the smoke was coming out of his ears. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember, this is early '60s. Right. And I remember he looked, he looked down at me, and, and he said, "What was that?" He said, "Like you didn't even try." And I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, "Well, you know what, Dad? I, I think I got embarrassed. Like I didn't even have all my hockey equipment." And there was kind of a, they call it a pregnant pause. Right. There was like a quiet moment, and I watched my dad, who was interesting. Like, he was processing this information. And, like, I, I was thinking, wow, I'm in for a licking here tonight. And, uh, and he, but he got processing this information. Then all of a sudden, his uh, facial composure changed. And I remember he looked down, and he said, you know what, I want you to know something. And I said, what's that? And he said, in order to be the very best player that you can be, it's important that the coach knows that you were as hardest working hockey player during the practice. Mm-hmm. And he said, can you do that? Like, can you be the hardest working player on the ice? And I thought about it for a couple of seconds. And I thought, well, that's who I am. And I said, I looked up and I said, yes. I can, I can do that. And he said, okay, fantastic. And then he said, you know what? Let's go and buy you the hockey equipment. And I can remember. <laughs> like we, we got in the car, we went straight over to Eaton's and we got new hockey equipment. Like I, I don't know if I'd ever had new equipment. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we were a fairly poor uh, farming family. And I remember in that moment, I felt so loved. And for years and years and years, I was the hardest working hockey player in practice. And actually something my dad said, he said, 
it's really important that he knows you're, a, you're his hardest working player, and some days he will know that you are his best player. Right. And they say, can you do that? And I, I remember I looked up and I, I said, yeah. And he said, all right, let's go buy you some new hockey equipment. And I felt so loved in that moment. And you know, it's amazing, like, because in order to be an NHL, it's about being able to go through that wall. Like, I've watched so many players who did not make it because right when they've got to put the pedal to the metal and turn on the gas and see if they can go flying by that defenseman and cut in in front of that goaltender, they actually pull up. Like, so it takes a, a lot of courage to be an NHLer. It takes a lot of drive and an enormous amount of work. And, and I think just that story, I, I have... Like, I just went out, and and it was the hardest working guy. And uh, and I think it's one of the things that contributed to my being it, becoming an NHLer. Internally, for yourself, as a young kid, looking up at your father, you're obviously you're embarrassed, hurt, and disappointed at that moment. He handles it in a way that makes you feel better about yourself and clearly articulates what, you know, what what's, what's it going to take here from here on out for you to reach your, your abilities. That is to be the hardest working player out there. Handle it beautifully. You still remember it today as if it was yesterday, I'm sure. Yeah, and so, like, my dad actually did almost zero coaching. But what's the amazing thing was in that, in that moment, it was just incredible what happened. And, uh, and, and yeah, and it was such a turning point. Like, had he, had he beat up on me mentally or whatever, like, instead of being felt shot down, I just felt totally loved. Right. And so you're off and running, well, Morris, in your career. And I, I did want to take, before I jump into it, i really curious about Medicine Hat, but I want to take one step back because somewhere else uh, I had read that you had told, because you, you mentioned it earlier today, and you end up being teammates, of course, with Gordie Howe, the icon. But when you're a little kid, you had a chance encounter with Gordie uh, at a sporting goods store, I re- if I recall the story correctly. Yes. You know, it, it's, we talk about pivotal moments. Like, I had never met an NHLer. So I remember we were uh, going into Eaton's in Saskatoon. It was in downtown Saskatoon, and we were going in, my brother Ed and I, to buy a glove. And Ed was my mentor. He was my teacher, coach, mm-hmm. 10 years older than me, just a smart, smart guy when it came to athletics, as he proved in curling down the line. And uh, it ended up that we, we walked into Eaton's, and I remember I'd never met a professional hockey player before. And as we walked in, it was in the middle of July, and uh, I remember I just stopped in my tracks. And I looked over at a man that was sitting at a table. He was wearing a blue sports jacket. It was a blue open-collar shirt, and he was just doodling away on some paper. And uh, I remember I said to Ed, I said, is that Gordy Howe? And uh, Ed said, he looked over and said, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> and I said, what do we do? And I started getting nervous. I said, like, do we go over and say hi, or do we... Uh, what do you what do you think? And my Ed, and my brother Ed, being one of my key key teachers and mentors, handled it really well. He said, "I don't know. What do you think?" <laughs> when I, yeah, when I talk with young kids or athletes, I talk about the next step. And you know what? The next step it is just so important. Like that, the next step could be getting into a car with a drunken driver. It could be going to a party where there's all sorts of bad drugs. Uh, it could be taking on a, a bad habit. Uh, it could be kind of become an alcoholic. It, I mean, it, so the next step is just so important. I remember, and he said, so, I don't know, what do you think? And I was thinking, I was getting nervous, and my breathing was changing. And, and I remember I kind of just closed my eyes a bit, and there was like a voice that just said, just go for it. I remember that next step, that next step we took for, towards Gordy Howe. And he was there signing autographs for Eaton's. Uh, Eaton's had forgot to tell anybody, and it was an extremely hot day in July, and there was, like, nobody there. 
<laughs> and it ended up with my brother Ed and I got to spend 45 of the most amazing minutes wow. with Gordy Howe. Um, that is yeah. amazing. Yeah, and and 45 minutes. And the thing was, he and I actually didn't talk that much. He was more interested in Ed. But what happened was I was right on his left side, and he was at a table, and uh, it ended up that Ed went over the other side, and they talked about hockey and curling and golf and baseball and fishing because they had all that in common. And um, it, it was about 45 minutes. It was just incredible. And in those 45 minutes when I got to stand there, like I fell in love with Gordy Howe. Like I just watched. I just, like I would never met an NHLer. <laughs> right. And, and he was incredible. Like he was strong in the shoulders. And, and yeah. so in the end, yeah, when it was finished, uh, so I was about, I was probably about 10 years old then, uh, I think it was 1966. And in the end, he turned back to me. He said, uh, he said, Morris, uh, he said, what is it that you love most about hockey? And I thought about it for about a second. And I said, Mr. Howe, what I love most is I love scoring goals. <laughs> and he, he chuckled about it. And so then he pulled out an autograph picture, like a, um, and uh, he ended up uh, writing on it to Maurice, and as M A U R I C E. And as he was writing it, I said, "Oh, Mister Howe, my name's actually M O R R I S." And he said, "Well, you know what? Maurice Richard is an amazing goal scorer. So are you okay if I sign it like this?" <laughs> Which I thought, well, I didn't really like the idea, but then who was I? You know, <laughs> to So I said, "Sure." And so he said to Maurice, score lots of goals, Gordy Howe. And I, I talk about the power of intent. When I work with players, I, I talk about the power of intent. And so I took that picture and I put it up on the wall at home. And then beside it, I, I, I cut a picture out of a hockey magazine of Bobby Hull pitching a bale of hay. What I tell players is just really, really important to get clear who we would love to play with in the NHL or who would we love to be like. And I'm convinced, like, so at night I'd say my prayers and I'd say, oh, Lord, please, someday, can I play with Gordie Howe? And while you're at it, will you throw in Bobby Hall? <laughs> and, uh, and literally, it was, Gordie was one, Bobby was two. But there's this picture of Bobby, you know, pitching a bale of hay where he is just all oh, just incredible muscle. He looks like the Hulk in one of the pictures. Oh man, that's a uh, that's that picture is incredible. It, it's like it, it's totally natural, and you, I, it, it's fascinating when I look at pictures of, of like that with him and Gordy. There's a picture of Gordy Howard fishing, and they are just so physically powerful. It's incredible. You, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it ended up that I'm convinced that uh, intent. Like especially right at bedtime, or um, because I, I'm convinced that our subconscious works on manifesting our universe, and that it's uh, you know I just saw Aladdin, and I was telling my daughter this, and then in Aladdin the genie says, "Give me specific instructions. Like be very very careful what you wish for, mm -hmm. and be very very specific." And I can remember like I just like I asked. Uh, and if it's my subconscious or, or or if it's God or if it's whatever who's listening but it was like what's, it, what's required for me to play in the NHL and then, and then so what was it with Gordy Howe and Bobby Howe and so then what, was, what was interesting in this is that about two years later I think it was Gordy retired from Detroit and I could remember I was I was somewhat shattered by it because my dream of playing with him, it like it sort of was gone for. Mm -hmm. And then what's amazing is Bobby Hull comes out of retirement, or he, Bobby Hull changes leagues and forms the WHA. Gordy Howe comes out of retirement to play with his sons in Houston. I get drafted by Houston in the WHA and by Pittsburgh in the NHL. And there's a cool story that goes along with that also about how I decide. Uh, who to play with but uh, like all the things all the pieces that fell together I think that there was just there was a certain power 
of a young boy's prayer. You know, just a young guy who was pure at heart. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah, I just think so. I I work with players and and get them to spend time visualizing that piece. Well, it's very important. important. It's not only what you're thinking about when you're doing that; it's what you're not thinking about. You're thinking positive, positive thoughts. You're not, you know, in, in this world, particularly with social media, etc. A lot of kids can get their brains filled up with a lot of negativity, a lot of uh, useless information. But as a young man uh, yourself, to be able to have that experience of meeting Gordy Howe. Uh, to have the picture up on the wall and then taking it a step further and having the uh, awareness at a very young age to visualize and cement that in your brain and make it part of your heart and soul that you're going to play with Gordy Howe someday. And of course, the odds of that happening are astronomical. You just mentioned two things. There was no WHA at the time and Gordy Howe was just about to retire from the NHL. It's unheard of that he came back with his sons playing in Houston, Texas. And we're going to get to that in a minute, too. But, no, I think it's very instructive. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And, and you know, it isn't so much that it was positive. It was specific. Right. It was my prayer was clear. Like, when I looked up at night, it was, Lord, please, someday, can I play with Gordy Howe? And while you're at it, will you throw in Bobby Howe? <laughs> and, and he did both. Like, and it's amazing how, like, how they both came together. And, you know, uh, the first time I saw Bobby Hall take his shirt off in the dressing room, when we, like, we relocated from Houston to Winnipeg in the last mm-hmm. year of the WHA, and then when Bobby came in, he took his shirt off, like the real thing, the picture, didn't do it justice. Bobby Hall with his shirt off, he was amazing. Yeah, like I am. I've never seen a build like it was just muscle everywhere. And he was hairy like crazy. <laughs> and I, I remember I was staring at him and he was at the other end of the dressing room. And I was staring at him and I think my jaw had dropped because, and, uh, and he looked up and he caught me staring at him. And I remember it was like <laughs> a first moment. I, I looked down and I was like, Oh my gosh, he saw me staring at him. And I looked up and he was still laughing. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't the first time. That it happened. But, right. uh, Bobby Hall, by the way, uh, I love Gordy Howe so much. And uh, and Bobby, I think, was the greatest ambassador in hockey that I that I have ever met. Yes. He, uh, he would stay and sign autographs. Like, one time, while I played with Houston, it was after a game that we had played the Jets and they had uh, beat us and our line played against Bobby's line uh, of uh, Hedberg, uh, Anders Hedberg, Alf Nielsen, and Bobby Hall. So here we were just playing against each other and, uh, you know, bashing into each other and banging into each other. And after the game, when I came out of the, our dressing room, their dressing room had to be right, happened to be right beside it. And, and uh, he happened to come out at the same moment. And I saw, I'm, all of a sudden he was there. I remember he kind of looked at me and, you know, kind of almost like a little bit of a frown on his face or whatever. And I, and I said, uh, Mr. Hull, uh, can I ask you a question? And and he kind of looked at me and he went, well, sure. And I said, what does it take to become an all-star left winger? And hmm. I remember he stared at me. I think he was really taken by the, the fact was like, this guy's on the other team. Right. And, uh, and ended up, he kind of just looked at me for about 15, 20 seconds. And then he said, well, what it takes, he says, it takes an am- amazing amount of discipline. And he says, so really develop good habits, good work habits on the ice. And he says it takes an amazing amount of courage to really, really go for it. And then he said, and whatever you're most talented at, and he says, use that. Mm-hmm. Because that thing that will get you to being an all-star. And he said, what's yours? And I said, well, really, it's my skating. And I said, and I'm okay to go to the front of the net and get beat up. And he says, well, then do those really, really well. And, uh, and we had an amazing conversation. I mean, so here was a, a man, you know, his team is probably waiting for him on the bus, and he's taken the time to give advice to an opposing left winger. 
Right. And just think back, Morris, of you talked about Gordie Howe and Bobby Howe. Just think about it in those two interactions you had, one as a 10-year-old kid and one as a rookie in the WHA, how much that impacted you, uh, how those those two guys had a had such an influence and, and a, a positive impact on your life just by being kind human beings. Yeah, and so... You know, I, afterwards, I, like, I took that on also. I stayed around to sign autographs. My gosh, there were some people in Winnipeg, I must have signed their autographs a hundred times. <laughs> and uh, and it was, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, to be able to meet Bobby Hull and uh, and Gordie Howe, and, and you know, it was kind of cool, I was, and I hope we'll chat about it a little bit later, was I actually got to spend time with Gordie Howe after his last game ever that he played. And it was quite an amazing evening. So, uh, right. but Medicine Hat Tigers. Yeah, we're going back to Medicine Hat. I wanted. How did uh, I was curious how uh, that all transpired? How you uh, were, were were chosen to play there, and you played with a couple of really interesting guys, and Greg Carroll and and Don Murdoch, who would both become uh, major league players themselves. And uh, just curious about the Medicine Hat experience. Well. The way I got to Medicine Hat was, you know, first of all, so I get cut at my peewee tryout, which ultimately, like there's this good saying that one of my mentors has is he says, for what may that be good? So like I would have never thought that getting cut at this first peewee tryout was a good thing. And yet it ended up being because then what happened was I fell into my next tryout was it was right when cities were starting to divide uh, divide up the cities into uh, quadrants. Mm-hmm. So it was called quadrant hockey. And so I tried, I tried out for a team and made it. Uh, and it was uh, an all-star team from one section of our city. And it ended up that uh, I played with a team uh, called the uh, Empire and we Empires, and we were actually sponsored by the Empire Meat Packing Company. So for a little while, I was a meat packer, and uh, mm-hmm. it ended up that uh, our team, we had a good team. So we, we ended up winning the Saskatchewan Provincials that year. And what was strange about it was that uh, we stayed together. So here we had this group of kids, and we actually won three provincial championships. Our last year of Peewee, our second year of Bantam, and our second year of Midget. So in the, in the, the Midget year, it ended up I played for a team that was called the Saskatoon Blazers, triple-A midget team. And we actually, we had, at, we really had the best team in Canada that year. We ended up finishing third, kind of blew something in a turn in, in the, at that time, which was the Canadian National Championship sponsored by the Canadian military, of all things, mm-hmm. in Saturday Island. But, so what happens, I'm with the Blazers at Christmas time, I think about 1972, we go to Medicine Hat to play in a in a Triple A midget team, uh, tournament uh, sponsored by the uh, Medicine Hat Tiger Hockey Hounds, and uh, it ends up that uh, we play four games, I think, and we whomp everybody. Like our closest score is like eight to one, and this is teams from Edmonton, Calgary, British Columbia, some other Saskatchewan teams. Mm-hmm. Like we had a good hockey team, and it ended up that. Uh, I was given MVP of the tournament, even though there was a whole bunch of guys that could have been that. I think I maybe got it because they just worked so hard. And uh, it ended up that uh, it was kind of cool. I got a picture <laughs> in the Medicine Hat newspaper. Oh, yeah. That I still, still have in a scrapbook. And uh, they put five of us on a protection list. At that time, there wasn't drafting. It was each team had a protection list. So I can remember that during the summer, uh, when I got back, I didn't want to. I, I found out that we had got protected. A friend of mine, Neil Park, was another protected player. He was an amazing defenseman, and uh, it ended up. In, so I actually sent the Medicine Hat Tigers a letter during the summer, telling them I didn't want to play for them, and I wanted to be a Saskatoon Blades, and if they could re- re- release my rights. Now I never heard anything back from them. So my life had changed in one day. It's amazing the things that happen. Mm-hmm. Again, it's September, and I think it was September 5th, 
I think 1973. Yeah, I think it was that. that. And it ends up that uh, I get a call from Neil. And he says, uh, hey, if we're going to try out for junior hockey this year, like, uh, we've got to go to Medicine Hat. And then, uh, and I said, you got to be kidding. I don't want to play for them. And uh, they had actually beat my beloved Blades the year before, the McDonald's and Elysiac. And Butler. Oh, the right, right, them. yeah. Very keen. Yeah, so it was like I was mad at them. <laughs> and uh, and he said, well, they've got our rights. So you think it over. We're going to leave tomorrow, uh, 4 o'clock. Says you're in your car. If you're in the car, great. If you're not, that's okay too. And ended up, uh, he says, you know, talk to your mom and dad about it. So I did. I went home, talked to mom and dad, and actually, uh, my mom didn't think it was a good idea. My dad did, and then it was really my brother Ed convinced me. He said, hey, if you ever want to become a professional hockey player, it looks like this is the next step. So I ended up. I got my hockey gear together and was in the car the next day, four o'clock. And we drove to Medicine Friggin' Hat. It was like a, <laughs> about a four-hour drive, and uh, there was four of us that went. The one there was Neil Park, Ron Thiessen, who was a goalie, Kirk Walters, and myself. And it ended up that uh, uh, there was a guy by the name of Cam Chapman who who decided not to go. He he stayed in Saskatoon to be with a girl, and uh, which I think was a mistake. <laughs> but because uh, the girl dumped him shortly after. Oh, right, naturally. Yeah, but yeah. So we, we drive down on the Friday. We have two practices on the Saturday. There's 180 guys at this camp. It's I'm out there skating just as fast as I can, and I'm somewhat scared because there are big guys. I'm 141 pounds. Wow, and so I, I am just skating and, uh, as fast as I can, and, and uh, it ends up that uh, that that night, both Neil uh, Park and Kirk get cut. So only the goaltender, and he was a bit of a dope smoking guy, uh, and myself stay. So I can remember the next morning, a very very hungover. And it was in front of a ho- uh, we were staying in what was called the Assiniboia Hotel. It's right on the corner of uh, Main Street and I think Third Avenue in uh, Medicine Hat. It's right by the railroad tracks, and uh, it was actually called the Big A was his nickname. Mm-hmm. And in the next morning, a very hungover Neil Park and Kirk Walters, we had a hug outside the the car, and uh, I, I don't know where Ron was. I was just. It was just me and, and and they got into the I remember they got into the car. The car drove down the road and it had the, the road it was a T intersection because of the railroad tracks. And they, so they drove down the end of the road and they made a left and the car went around the corner, it was gone. And I can remember I thought to myself, Wow, I had better <laughs> make this hockey team because that's a long walk back to <laughs> Right. And, you know, it's strange the thoughts that the you know seventeen year old boy would have, and it ended up that uh, it ended up that I made the team. And you know, I'm convinced though, that, like my cousin Bernie Lukowicz had played mm-hmm. right with the new yeah with uh, the Estevan Bruins and the New Westminster Bruins, and he was a very good player in the Western Hockey League. He was on a line with Lauren Henning, and uh, they were the top two scorers. So I'm pretty convinced that. Uh, they gave me an extra look because of my last name and uh, because of what Bernie had done in the Western Hockey League. But anyways, I managed to hang in there. There's kind of a really cool story that comes with this, too. It's how uh, just a little ways into into the year, like I'm not really playing that much as a rookie, but I'm out there. Like I'm working hard and practicing and I'm flying around and I'm, you know, kind of pissing off the veteran guys because I'm buzzing them all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and it ends up to we're maybe about 15 games into the season, and I haven't played that much. I get a shift here once in a while. And it ends up that uh, coach general manager Jack Shoup, bless his soul, he just uh, passed away uh, just, uh, maybe about a month ago. But he calls me in, and, uh, and he was a smoker, and so I come in and uh, 
and he's behind his desk and I'm sitting in a chair and he says, uh, Morris, you know what? Uh, I'm thinking about sending you to uh, Drum Heller, our farm team. And I'm thinking, Drum what? Uh, <laughs> like, I didn't even know where Medicine Hat was. Like, where the hell is Drum Heller? And, uh, and he says, yeah, we're thinking about sending you to Drum Heller because you're not getting a lot of ice time here. You would play more down there. He says, what do you think about that? So I remember I thought about it for about a minute, and then I said, "What, well, Mr. Shoup, I'd actually really rather stay here. I said, you know what, I'm learning so much by watching the other players, mm-hmm. like Kenny Gassoff and Barry Dean and Greg Vedic. Like, I'm learning lots just from watching those guys. And um, so... I think it would actually be better if I just stayed. I'll watch them, and you know what? When I get an opportunity to play, I promise you I will give it 100% of my effort and just to be the very best that I can out there. And then I said, and you know what? If you decide to send me a drum heller, then I, I would probably just uh, go back to Saskatoon and finish my grade 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe I could try out for the Olympics or the blades back there. But uh, then, your, yeah, your, your decision to stay obviously was that that's a big decision to make as a young guy too. You know, a lot of guys would have just acquiesced and gone, but it was a strong, you had to be pretty strong minded to stick to your guns and, and stick with the big club. Yeah. So I said that to him, but then what was interesting is he, so we stared at each other for about 10 minutes and he <laughs> smoked a cigarette. And we and literally we just looked at each other. It was a very strange. <laughs> and you know, I, I eventually learned that when I got out of hockey, I went into real estate sales for a while. And I learned one thing in in a real estate program is whoever asks the closing question or makes a, a, a closing comment, like whoever speaks next buys the deal. Right. Like, yeah. So it ended up we just stared at each other, and it was. Uh, like I had made my point. And so, so he just puffed away on this cigarette and it was about 10 minutes. It took him to smoke it. And then I remember he leaned forward and he put it out in the ashtray and he, and he, uh, and he said, okay, you'll stay here. He said, just keep working hard and keep learning. I said, yeah. and I remember I said, thanks coach. And, uh, the irony is that when I went to Houston, eventually there's one day after practice where uh the train uh the equipment manager comes and says hey uh come on in uh, like i'd be the last guy on the ice and uh, he says hey come on in uh the coach wants to talk with you and that was coach bill the you know who has all sorts of sons kevin the that played gord jerry uh sean peter yeah i mean just it's an incredible family of hockey players but so i get called in and and I had hardly played at all for about the first dozen games with Houston. And uh, actually, uh, I had just watched, and I just got mostly like one shift a period. And so he uh, called me in, and my gosh, this was incredible. And he says, you know what? We're um, thinking about sending you to Oklahoma City. And I'm thinking, Oklahoma, what? And, uh, and I'm thinking, holy crap. He says, yeah, I'm thinking about sending you to Oklahoma City because you're not getting a lot of time to play here. And he says, you get to play a lot down there. He says, what do you think about that? And I was thinking, wow. So I told him the same story. I just said, you know what, I'm learning so much here by watching Mark Howe and Gordy Howe. And, and uh, so, and I just said, you know, I just, I, I'd rather stay here and learn from them and when I get an opportunity, when I get out there, I promise you, I'll just, I'll play my hardest, and I'll play my be- as as best I can. Mm-hmm. So I remember, he, well, he smoked a cigar. So it's incredible. He <laughs> right. sits there, he puffs away on this cigar for ten minutes, and we look at each other, and like nothing is said, and it, and it felt like a long time, and then finally he says. Okay, 
He says, and this is incredible what he says next. He says, okay, you're going to stay. He said, but I want you to do something. And I said, okay. And he said, I want you to sit beside Larry Hale. And Larry Hale and, and Larry Ludd actually opened up the, the Okanagan uh, uh, Hockey Academy. It was, mm-hmm. there, it was a set. There was Port Huron Hockey School and there was the Okanagan Hockey School. Mm-hmm. So Larry Hale was one of our defensemen. He was a very smart guy. And he said, so I want you to sit beside Larry and Larry will teach you about hockey. See? So he said, if you go out in the shift and you play, then you come back and, and then you sit beside Larry. So it was amazing. Larry would go out on the ice and he would play and he would come back to the bench and I'd get up and I'd walk down and I'd sit beside him and he would teach me hockey. He would tell me about how to play. And then he'd have to get up and go out and play again. And then he would come back and he'd sit down and and we would watch what was going on in the game and he would talk about what certain players were doing. And then I'd go out and I'd play a shift and then I would come back and he would analyze the shift that I had just been out on. So I spent, like I spent 20 games beside Larry. It was like one of the best times of my life in hockey because I just learned so much. And Larry and I became very, very good friends. And uh, we got played tennis together. And uh, he was an amazing guy. Not not really that talented, but boy, could he get things done. I'm just a smart man. So like I had just an amazing teacher and, um, you know, and every once in a while I'd get called and, and then what ha- eventually happened was a trade was made and I was given an opportunity to play with, uh, on a line with Shkowski and Preston. And like, I got six goals in four games and it was all just looking ahead after that. Absolutely. That was a, uh, that first, there weren't a ton of young players Jumping to the WHA out of junior, you had a great, obviously, your last year junior, 142 points, and uh, you ended up getting drafted by both the Arrows and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you've talked before a little bit about kind of serving as your own agent at that point. It was a unique time in hockey, two leagues, both both teams bidding for your services. Talk a little bit about that process. Um of making that, obviously the Gordie Howe factor looms really large here, but what what uh, was the deciding factor to become a Houston Arrow over a Pittsburgh Penguin? Well, it's a, it's a very cool story from my aspect because what happened was we were kind of getting around to uh, September and uh, we got a call from Ren Blair. I get, He gets a hold of me somehow. And... Uh, but I cannot find my agent, Frank Milne. He is just nowhere to be found. And I think he's off negotiating first-round contracts for Donnie Murdoch, who went to the Rangers, and Greg Carroll, who I believe went to Washington. And anyways, at that time, we didn't have cell phones. and uh, So I had one number to call, and I called it, and all I got was a voice mail, and I left it, and I didn't get a call back. So it ended up that my brother Ed and I, um, actually negotiated my first contract. And it was uh, kind of an interesting process because we uh, we asked Ren, what are you offering? And, uh, and he said, well, we're offering you this. And we said, okay, well, we'll just call you right back. And we got off the phone and then we called Bill Deneen in Houston. And he said, well... This is what Pittsburgh is offering. What can you? What would you offer? And so we kind of went back and forth like this. We were inexperienced, but we got very good at it very quickly. And uh, and then there was a moment that came where Ren Blair said, "Hey, that is my last offer. And uh, do not call back except to say that you want to play." Mm-hmm. And then we we went over to Bill Deneen and and and. Uh, and we said, and what have you got to offer? And, and he made one last pitch and he said, and he said, that's it. He said, no higher. And it, was, and it was incredible. We had both contracts side by side on a page and we looked at them and they were virtually the same contract. And uh, the thing we didn't know being inexperienced agents is that NHL teams have budgets 
first rounders sign for so much, play for so much. Uh, second rounders sign for so much, play for so much. So I ended up signing for for twenty five thousand. Murdoch and Carroll got one hundred and fifty thousand, uh, and yeah, they got a one fifty to sign and one fifty to play, and I, I got twenty five and forty five. So big difference. It would have been a lot more fun to be a first rounder. Right. But, uh, and then, um, but it was happened was, uh, so Ren Blair, I remember we had this phone call and he said, and it was incredible. There's this song called, uh, uh, paradise by the dashboard lights by meatloaf. And in the, in the song, there's a line where this girl says to this guy, so what's it going to be boy? And it was incredible. He says this, he says, so what's it going to be, boy? Are you going to come? Play? Yeah, are you, are you going to come play in the big time with the other NHLers, or are you going to go to that other league? And I remember my brother Ed was sitting next to me. And I looked over and I said, "What do you think?" And being a good mentor, what did he say? I don't know. What do you think? And I talk about intuition, and I can remember I was. I'm sure what I was going to do. And I was thinking Pittsburgh, NHL, Houston, WHA, back and forth, which one, which one. I remember I closed my eyes, took a deep breath. And it was like a voice, a very clear voice said, go play with Gordie Howe. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of strange in this whole negotiation, Gordie Howe had got kind of lost in it until that moment. And I remember I got back on the phone immediately. I said, Mr. Blair, I'd like to thank you for your offer to come play in Pittsburgh, I mean, you know what, really, I just want to play with Gordie Howe. To which he said, well, you little shit, you will never play a day in the NHL and hung up. I can still remember so clearly. And I looked over at my brother Ed and I said, wow, he hung up on me. And I said, I guess I'm going to Houston. And uh, so we got on the phone, we gave, uh, we gave Mr. Dean a call and uh, said, you know what, Really, I just want to play with Gordy Howe. That concludes part one of our interview with Morris Lukowicz. Part two will be published very soon. That will take us through the days of the World Hockey Association up to Winnipeg, the NHL, Boston, Los Angeles, and so much more. Fascinating interview with Morris, and we hope you join us for part two. Meanwhile, if you have any comments or suggestions about the show, please contact us at ProHockeyAlumni.org. Our email address is right there. And just send us a note. Let us know what you think. If you have any comments, suggestions, about maybe some future guests or some thoughts that you had about previous guests, I would love to hear from you. Always love to hear your comments. Thank you. See you next time.